I'm Kathleen. And I'm Dee. And you're listening to Mamas with Attitude, otherwise known as MWA. Interesting, cool, South African relevant yeah. content. Yeah. Um, on where we were at. Mm-hmm. You know, motherhood just comes to take on its different shapes and forms. Mommy's a bounce. Mommy's a bounce. Is mama's the Jesus. <laughs> Weird. Yeah. You're in another zone, but you're totally out of the twilight. Mama. 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 Hi, everyone, and welcome back to MWA. So we're recording this episode, like I'm sure you're li- literally living your lives through um, a virtual platform, and in this case, Zoom. Um, and we have a wonderful uh, returning guest, which is a new a first, actually. So you are our first guest and you are our first returning guest. Um, so just very grateful that we're able to have this conversation with you. We would like to say thank you so much, Tando, for coming on board again and having a conversation. And I think just before we kind of introduce you properly, or you can introduce yourself, actually, reintroduce yourself to the NWA listeners, I just wanted to contextualize the conversation because what is astounding to me still is that you and D are exactly the same amount in terms of weeks in your pregnancy. So 37 weeks pregnant and you're both carrying girls, which is incredible considering that we know that from our group of like women who have, who kind of surround us are predominantly boy moms. Um, but that the tide seems to be turning and you two are turning the tide. So thank you so much for that. Pregnancy and birthing and preparing for birthing with a toddler in the time of COVID. So that's kind of broadly what the context of the conversation will be. Um, but maybe I'll hand over the platform to you, Tando, to just reintroduce yourself to MWA listeners. Yeah, so I'm Tando Molaketi Williams, um, mom to Batandwa and um, and plus one who's in utero at the moment. I also have an Instagram platform called And Batandwa, where you can follow my um, mothering journey and part of Batandwa's toddler life um, when I find the time to update it and and that sort of thing. So yeah, so that's. Mm. That's basically uh, me. And the last time I was here was when I was in the thick of figuring out what life as a mother is like. <laughs> Do you ever figure it out? <laughs> yeah, I feel like you Do never, you? it's a constant shifting. I suppose you settle into it, but yeah, that's yeah. Good. yes, I think you do settle into it. So um, I wasn't anywhere near settling then. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, it took me a long time to settle too, right? But also, okay, maybe if you can just tell us a little bit about D. I don't know if I'm just jumping ahead. I don't know if you want to say hi to the MWA listeners too. Yes, I I do. Hi, listeners. Hi, Tando. And thank you, Tando, for so graciously agreeing. Because I mean, the way I feel, I have like half my head in the sand literally and half of it out half of the time in these um day like as these days go so Tando and I are both in week 37 of our respective pregnancies this episode is kind of a two-part which we're hoping is kind of a, a a cool dialogue across both episodes, whether you listen to both or not. It's not uh, imperative that you listen to the one to listen to the other, but I think it could be quite interesting because as Kat says, um, we're talking about being pregnant, you know, in lockdown. Just our, so our previous episode was Kath and I just kind of checking in with each other, but also 
Kath and I talking about preparing for labor, right? And so with Tando now, our one of our intentions or hopes, Tando, is that you also share with us some of your preparation mm. um, for labor. And also, you know, we're, we're planning to seemingly different things, but really not very different things, right? Because at the end of the day, we're speaking about bringing these babies Bring into a the baby world. safely. Exactly. Yes. Bring a baby safely into the world in a way that is um, considered and loving and whatever that means, right? And so, Tando, I, I know that for Kath and I, also when we approached you, we were very keen to speak about this notion of the V-back and the kind of emotional labor that's gone into that work for you, right? And also, I mean, if you want to, for you and your partner. And one of the things I've really been struck by <laughs> in the last week, in week 37, as, you know, as she says, as her water might break, um, <laughs> has just been how COVID has not allowed for so much of that work to be done. So I do believe there's work being done, like behind the scenes, somewhere there are like pathways, new pathways, yet new pathways being laid because it's a second baby and it's its own stuff and da da da, da. There's, a, there's a big part of me that's not been able to immerse myself, right, in some of that. And so I'm, I am personally quite keen and excited to hear about what are some of the things you've been doing where you at what does a VBAC mean is it like something you're like gung-ho about like you know so so yeah so just to to add to what to Kat's intro that I think that is also an element to our conversation that I think uh kind of rides on the back of Mm -hmm. yeah of 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 the previous of the previous convo as well so yeah a hundred percent and I think I think also I mean I may I also may say is the, the the kind of not feeling like you can immerse yourself in this pregnancy, and you and I have spoken about this, D, not feeling like you can immerse yourself in pregnancy, certainly heightened by COVID, but is that not just also what a second pregnancy looks like? So I think that that's kind of also um, my kind of caveat is, is how has this pregnancy been for you, uh, Tandor? And how have you found it going in? And obviously trimesters are so different, so you can't necessarily blanket Pro, a, a blanket statement the whole pregnancy but just if you could describe it um so i, I should start off to say that i don't find um pregnancies a comfortable experience um, yeah. generally in actual fact the third trimester um in my first pregnancy was probably the uh, the best trimester because i have uh, morning sickness nausea right into about 20 weeks which I had with the second pregnancy as well the benefit is you know what's coming so you can kind of try and get ahead of some of those things and remember to eat more frequently and I acidic items really help me um, with the nausea so I think from that perspective you're just a lot more prepared Mm. for it so um, a bit more relaxed as well I didn't have as much um, anxiety in this pregnancy as I had in the first one, but then I did have a bleed at the beginning of the pregnancy, which kind of sure. off. And we happened to be traveling at the time, so it's not that you can go to a doctor. So I'm sure. showing my OB pictures of what the bleed, of, right? Wow. <laughs> of what it, a new, a new, nev- a new level of relationships and intimacy, right? Exactly. Yeah. We're on different time zones, so she'll reply whilst I'm sleeping. But, but she was sure. Sure. She was like, this isn't anything to worry about. But because I didn't, I didn't remember having it in my first, mm. that did uh, make me worry a bit more. 
How many weeks were you at that point? I was, I was in my, I was in my first trimester. So I think I was around eight weeks. Um, Interesting, because we don't talk enough about it. There's just a sense of like, that's a flag and it's probably a miscarriage. And I don't know, for me, I bled with Amu at 11 weeks and it was a hectic bleed. It was not spotting. Mm. And Mm. I really did think I had miscarried at that point. And Mm. and then going to the, like not being able to sleep and then going to the gynae the next morning, completely in tears, thinking I had lost the baby was interesting because she was so relaxed and she was like, no, this happens. And you're like, thanks. Would have been great to know. Wow. So my mind doesn't go there, right? Yeah. So, mm. yes, I, I, that was probably one of the main differences initially. And then um, getting back from holiday and going into the second trimester, I thought Batandra would be at school for three hours a day, mm. a week. I'd have lots of time to do a lot of the preparation for baby and then like um, just about two months into the school year, we go into, into lockdown Crazy. and have to do all of this preparation mm-hmm. simultaneously or virtually. Um, but to be, to be, to be brutally honest, a lot of my birth prep is informed by the U.S. system, particularly because I look for black and women of color to support it. So, for example, my go-to source is Nurture, which is written by a doula, Erica Chidi-Cohen, who has a center in the U.S., and that's kind of my go-to. So, my, my references and resources are generally online. So, from that side, um, you know, it, it wasn't a change because I'm listening to a lot of birth stories that are U.S.-based birth stories. Um, mm. I'm doing a lot of, I've done two birth courses so far and both mm. run um, out of the U.S. in terms of prep because, um, you know, laboring is laboring. The environments are different, so you have to take, you know. What the, you can. Yeah, yeah. from it. Um, but I, sure, sure. I think... Because I'm planning a birth in a hospital, there are a lot of similarities in terms of nursing approaches, um, given the um, insure, the insurance environment, which globally I think is more or less standard. Um, so there's a lot of helpful considerations there. So for me, it's I I didn't really miss the in-person interactions. Mm. I think might be different in a midwife-led environment. Um, and it's just unfortunate that we don't have a hybrid in South Africa where someone who wants to have a birth in a hospital can also have access to a midwife before giving birth. Because like now, there are things where they would manually assist with like stretching, uh, you know, your... Yeah. Uh, the area of your perineum, your, your perineum yeah. That, yeah. that would be helpful versus me trying to figure out how do I do it manually? Am I doing it correctly? Perhaps I'm not doing it deeply enough, you know, that sort of thing. And then um, trying to order anything online during this period that comes from the US or outside of South Africa is a bit of a challenge. It's a nightmare because you don't know if it's going to mm. arrive. Live in time. Basically, mm. so you know, um, so there's that sort of thing where I think um, this has put a spanner in the works. But 
other than that, I mean, I think the biggest anxiety is just the risk of getting COVID before yeah. giving birth, yeah. the risk of my OB getting COVID and being in isolation when I go into labor. Those are, those are my big risk factors. Because sure. if the hospital gets closed down, they just reroute you. And to be honest, yeah. you know, I'm not... I'm not emotionally attached to a hospital. A hospital is a hospital. Mm, mm. hospital. Mm. And it's, it's the people, you know. And then mm. Bradley, my husband, getting COVID beforehand and not being able to come in there because he's now had to step up sure. and basically be daddy doula because they don't allow doulas in, doula. in the hospital environment. So he now is the one who has mm. to advocate um, for me if the nursing staff choose not to follow our plan that is signed off by our OB. So, you know, it's a vaginal birth, but the complexities that people have a perception that a vaginal birth after cesarean is more high risk, which in certain cases it, it could be, but in mm. our case, because my first birth was due to breach, there were no other indicators that, you know, I have a vaginal birth following that. And in actual fact, based, but this is US-based statistics, it's more risky to have a follow-up Caesar than to have mm. a vaginal birth after Caesar. Mm. Um, mm. So, you know, so the VBAC journey, which I feel like it's a bit premature to talk about it now. Um, I should call it, I think the word is TOLAC, when you're trying for. Um, oh, wow. Okay. Fair, fair. They only call it mm. back once you've successfully sure. had mm. the vaginal birth. I had the VBAC, okay. Yeah, mm. A bit premature mm. to talk about it, but mm. for me, this journey is that um, for the most part, and I mean, I haven't spoken to that many people and listening to other birth stories, women who pursue VBACs generally don't talk to people because people aren't as supportive as you'd expect. Um, you would think yeah. people who support vaginal births would be as excited and supportive of, of someone who has a VBAC. But I had an interaction with a, um, yeah, I should have had this conversation with Kath and not with Dee on the call, in actual fact. Um, so Dee and I share a yoga instructor and um, I mentioned to <laughs> I'd be happy uh, that I'm, 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 I'm joining this yoga class to prepare for birth. And mm. So we, so we start the conversation. And at this point, I'm not interviewing her to be a doula. I'm just having a conversation yeah. with someone whose yoga class I'm joining. She doesn't know my background. Um, and I just felt that, you know, it was, it was quite alienating and um, mm. isolating just the tone and the nuance here is that I'm a black woman and she's a white woman. So, you know, sure. I was triggered by that um, sure. to start with. Um, but, you know, just the, the fact that, you know, people think that you don't do your research, that you can't have a successful birth in a hospital environment. Yes, a hospital environment may not be ideal, but you don't understand enough of the person's background to really get insights into why would they choose a hospital environment over that. So you're first dealing with, with that issue of, Mid, midwife-led birthing center versus hospital environment and how unsuccessful you will be in this environment because you're choosing it and then 
um, saying some stuff about my OB, which I didn't appreciate because my OB is also a black woman. Um, so it was just. And who's been with you on the journey for a very long time. So you guys have a serious rapport. Yeah. And, you know, you know and, and, yeah. and I'm also very conscious about having a, a black team in particular and women of color. And, and with mm. my first birth, um, we didn't get the anesthesiologist that we wanted. So he was a, a white male in the room. And then our birth peed is a Eastern European female. But other than that, it was a team of black women and one student doctor who was a black male, um, which is something that was very important. To sure. Me, you know? Sure. Oh, please, can you tell me about the beef? I will. I'll keep them Laughing at you? I don't laugh at you. Oh. Say a smile. So, um, so there was that. And then I raised this issue with a friend, my interaction with this woman, with a friend. This yoga instructor. Mm. Uh, yeah, um, with a friend. And the friend said, yeah, well, you know, she's trying to see how serious you are about the V-back. And this is someone who's also had a natural birth. So I was quite surprised that... You know, and then my friend also said that, you know, you need to have a totally different team if you want to be successful in this endeavor. So it's just almost like, you know, taking away the fact that you have agency, you've done the research um, and just assuming that your team who helped you in a cesarean birth can't help you with a successful vaginal um, birth. So, yes, I found that for me very isolated. And then I just stopped speaking to people about my decision and just did my my research independently and in isolation and probably I think yeah probably mentioned it to you Kath and to Dee also in passing but I just I just found people who advocate for vaginal birth I found them a bit you know just insensitive to the fact that this part of the birthing journey is 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 new to me but birthing is not a new concept you know, in its entirety to me. And so the preparation from that perspective has been very different to my first birth um, because I've done more exercises, more research on, on, on what it takes to, to push a baby out, um, preparing your body for that. And then um, my baby's position is also entirely different this time round, but I'm Mm. never head down at all. Mm. Whereas Mm. this baby has been head down for most of, um, the pregnancy. So your pelvis just feels different. different. I didn't mm. have Braxton Hicks or false labor pains with Batandra sure. with this um with this baby. So, you know, so that's I think probably the biggest difference between the two pregnancies. Um mm. but yeah, but COVID, you know, doesn't allow you to maybe go visit a midwife led environment and and have that interaction anyway while and suss it out. Yeah, whilst mm. in parallel, um, going this route. But I mean, um, I've been to I've been to Genesis, and it's it's never put me individually as at ease. But I've got very, you know, I've got a very specific hospital environment experience. I've been in hospital with um, issues around my reproductive system. Quite a sure. Bit. Very. I'm also very comfortable 
in sure. the environment where I think other people who've never had to go into hospital, who've never had to rely on the hospital environment to assist them in their reproductive um, and their fertility process, I think just sure. have a totally different context of what that um, environment is like. So, so for me, that's probably been the harder challenge than COVID is just not having the VBAC support. And then mm. there, are, there are online support groups. But I find that a lot of the stories people have um, traumatic cesarean ex- experiences, whereas I find that my cesarean birth was still an empowered experience. So, you know, so interesting. Not mm. connect, that people still rubbish the cesarean system. So you don't have have that little space where you have a few people who say that, you know, we had to go into a cesarean for X, Y, Z. It was an empowering experience. I don't have any trauma from that experience. Mm. I'm still choosing to have a vaginal birth post and I haven't mentioned why. So for me, Mm -hmm. the reason I've chosen to, to pursue the vaginal birth route is primarily for recovery purposes. Um, Okay because I have an understanding of my mobility with a Caesar um, mm. and having a toddler who likes jumping on top of me and who's very, sure. you'd have to then create this barrier between yourself and your toddler. And I don't think that'll be helpful for his and, and my relationship or and bonding and so on. Yeah. Mm. Always bonding with the baby. So that's mm. primarily my driver um, to p- pursuing this is that I think I, I would like to be up and walking without the risk of hurting yourself um, sure. next day. Whereas with a, you know, a Caesar scar, you can, you can be up and walk around, but you shouldn't pick up your child. You know, you might take on the risk, but for the first sure. time, you shouldn't be doing that. And, and I don't want to take on that risk. And then during times of COVID, find yourself back in hospital because you've pulled out a hundred percent. So mm. I think for me, what's really interesting, and actually I feel like there's like two moments of really like an enlightenment um, that I haven't thought about because in my personal circumstances, haven't had to think about and haven't had somebody as clearly lay it out like that is I've always, re- I've always known that there was a polarization around birth, uh, natural vaginal birth and Caesars, right? In South Africa, that was very interesting for me and that you have these two camps and these camps are very polarized and very stark in their their differences um, and and, and their opinions. I think what is fascinating for me is what you're saying around that polarization and how it plays out in actually feeling like there's a level of support and community for the decisions that people are making. And again, like speaking about it from a feminist perspective, we speak about choice, but we don't always endorse the nuances around what those choices look like, neither the background or the rationale for making those choices, right? And certainly not sure. in this, mm. this context of like these two very different kinds of camps. I think the second thing, and I think probably one of the things that I've never thought about is this idea of a hybrid approach, Tandor. I think you mentioned it. And also thinking through what does a vaginal birth in a hospital look like that is successful, that is empowering, that is that you're able to do, right? And also then layering onto that this idea of um, 
it being kind of black woman, black female led, um, and hence you kind of relying very heavily on this on on information and, and platforms and people from the states to be able to kind of give you that feedback. So I think that for me, I, I if and I and I know that you're not a doula and you're not a midwife, but maybe for listeners who who are interested in kind of pursuing this path, what are some of the key things that you've picked up around? Um, some of the things either to expect or to prepare yourself for or to think through in terms of creating your birthing plan um, that you would like to kind of impart, if that makes sense. It's a very broad question, but kind of the things that have struck you in thinking through and preparing for this experience. Um, I know in one of our conversations a while ago, you were speaking about how you'll labor with full mobility, but you will push on your back. And you've already you're 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 clear around that, and you're 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 thinking through what that fundamentally looks like for your body. Um, and I think that those things are really interesting for me. And maybe if you could just share some of those kind of observations and and things that that you think are quite important for for listeners to note. Well, you see, I don't know if the, if this part is a bit premature because I haven't. It is. It is true. I hear you, but I think that you've done a lot of the work, right? So yeah, it's theoretical, but um, so I mean, my context is always to uh, prepare for. I don't want to use the word worst case scenario, but yeah. that's the reality. Is that you have to prepare for the reality. There's and particularly with birthing, you're not necessarily going to have your perfect birth because it's yourself and this other being that have to be aligned. And there's always going to be, you know, something can happen. And now in the times of COVID, um, the reality is like that's that something is is this extra element. So so some of the things that we we are even talking to, and I'm just gonna deal with the COVID bits quickly and then go to the, the general bits is the fact that you don't move into the hospital as quickly as you would have um, historically mm. because you have to go through the scans. And so we're talking about like, do I wear headphones so that Bradley does all of the admin, but the benefit in the hospital sure. environment is going through the COVID protocols means you can be mobile a little bit longer while you're laboring exactly yeah. before you get into the hospital, but also the question about, do I wear sunglasses inside the room? Because when you walk into a hospital, it's bright as fuck. As <laughs> yeah. It's bright as anything. And that can stall labor, just the, the transition from home to wherever you're birthing. So, you know, we're, a lot of it is working on the details. And this is where, hmm. practically speaking to women, who've had um, vaginal births before has been helpful. So one of my friends said, lie in the back of the car, don't install your car seat, which is something that's counterintuitive. You think you install the car seat, it's there when you come out. So she's like, don't sit. She was like her first two babies was the most uncomfortable thing trying to sit on these babies' heads. And her last child, she then lay on the back seat. So she's like, you know, those are things that are helpful. And then getting into the hospital, it's just about me being able to, to kind of stay in my zone and Bradley taking on a lot of the administrative stuff. The benefit of COVID is a lot of the hospital stuff you can now do online, all of your pre-admission items. That's that great. Sort of so, yeah. so there isn't much admin 
technically that you need to do unless you get there. Um, there's a lot of us birthing and then you have to wait around for, for you know, for, room. for example. Yeah. But yeah. it's just the mindset is keeping in mind if I'm waiting around for a, a room, you're still standing up, you're still mobile, um, you still have a lot more autonomy before the nurses who are on duty, who are dealing with a lot more anxiety than before then come in and kind of um, intervene. But so on the other side, you know, finding black practitioners in South Africa is a bit harder because we do not market ourselves in the way that white practitioners market ourselves. And I think that's the challenge. You know, I can't say they aren't there, but I got a list of doulas and midwives from someone mm. who works in the sector who's a black That's woman. That's interesting. But you mm. don't, and then you search and you kind of find them online in drips and drabs. And then what I also used is Genesis has the, a list of doulas and then you just pick out the women of color from there, which is what I did the first time around and how I found um, our doula Tsulu. But I think the big challenge is just that I think we're still out there doing the work, but it's this cultural thing that we don't advertise all of this work that we, that we do. I think um, I completely agree with you. And I also think that um, there's something to be said for networking the, this particular system in a way that builds um, or that is very much built on a, on a, like a language of trust. Right. So in some ways, because the system is so well put together, the, the white, the white part of the network, right? It's like, it's like a puzzle. Like you plug in one, 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 one and then it all works. And you, you, and certainly this has been the case for me. You partly feel comforted by the fact that the team works well together. Yeah. Right. So again, the, the work, the race work, the white woman's stuff and its weirdness, like shit that you wouldn't necessarily roll with in your everyday life, right? Suddenly that work lands on you because in a way it's, it's a similar kind of language of betrayal, you know, like the Caesar stuff you're talking about. It's messy, right? It's messy at best. But I mean, I also think what's so interesting and, and, and Kath and I have had quite a few conversations about this is I can't figure out why the black slash person of color part of the network doesn't puzzle together in similar ways or why that, especially in a place like Johannesburg, that I, I'm, I'm genuinely, I'm still a little bit stumped by it because there are so many of us <laughs> who are, you know, I mean, it's birth. Right. It's not like it's not like a something that's that's ending. It's a cyclical thing. <laughs> when we end when we stop reproducing, you know, the next one will be kicking, others. There will be others, you know. <laughs> yeah. So um yes, I mean I, I, I'm fascinated by that. I'm also really fascinated by the things you're saying, like Kath said, about the kind of agency and the I think the very like uh there's a very specific way in which you're articulating your experience of the cesarean, of your agency, of your power. It's not something where you were like, it happens you know, to you. 
Yes, exactly. And I mm. think yet again, I think um, it's, an, it's a story, it's a thing around narratives, right? Like what are the narratives we put out there? So you are one of so many, I believe lots of women actually probably choose the cesarean in a way. And I say choose with like inverted commas because choose is complicated in itself, right? So you've spoken about your choice in a very particular way. But I do think, as Kat said, very polarized, but we don't understand the nuances because, because people aren't speaking about it. So you're speaking about it. But I've spoken with a few other women who, are not, who have not articulated it as well and who basically have said in a kind of resignated, you know, not resignated, resigned way, have kind of said, oh, yeah, well, in the end, this is what I ended up with. And I was okay with it. So they follow it up with, I was okay with it. But the thinking through the, the, the stuff you're saying, this assumption that you haven't done the work, that, that for me, has, it's, like, it's almost like the missing gap, right? So in, it, it just it lends itself to the language mm. of, oh, you haven't done the work and so you ended up there and so the binary persists. Mm, mm. Does, does it make sense what I'm saying? Like it's a bit... No, Dee, I think you've, you've hit the nail on the head with that one. And this is where nurture as a book and a resource has been very helpful with that because Erica's approach is that you have birth and she doesn't, she doesn't like using the term natural because sure. what it does to the implication on cesarean birth. And sure. that set the tone. And in the book, she also talks about how you make a cesarean birth your own and not that you're just slotting into a surgery, essentially. Mm. So going into that, I had birth preferences about my cesarean birth and things that were very um, specific and, you know, and we still had the skin to skin immediately where there's this perception that you don't have that opportunity when you're in theater. So, but those are also perhaps nuances that if you're using American based literature, then that might be a difference in their system. So for me, nurture has been a great comforting, calming resource. And in fact, after these heightened discussions that I had, when I first shared the fact that I was doing a VBAC, I went back to it and I don't have it with me now. But basically she had a passage that was really, that I read that was really empowering and helped make me feel less angry about the exchanges that I had and focus on, you know, now you have to, have to do, you know, the work um, mm. of pursuing this, this path. So it, that I think is what's, what's, what's guided it because on the other side, and I've seen this in the pregnancy WhatsApp group, there aren't um, resources that help moms with um, empowered cesareans either. So, so that's the challenge is that there's this section of the birthing spectrum where there isn't the same amount of support. And in fact, what people think support is, is saying, Oh, but you know, it's, it's, it's fine. You didn't have the vaginal birth. That's okay. Your baby's healthy. You're healthy. And not realizing that you still have to do a lot of work. The breathing work you do in yoga that's used for vaginal birth, you still need that breathing work in the cesarean environment. So there are so many similarities that I think sure. aren't conscious 
conscious of. Um, so, so yeah, so there's that. And then the other thing I wanted to go back to is um, the network of people of color. And my hypothesis is that this privilege allows you to, to do the work that you want to do in the way that you want to do it in some instances. Absolutely. And as women of color, we don't have that. So I think a lot of these women are working in the system. So they might be midwives in the hospital system. Um, so I think there isn't that same opportunity to create that networks that are outside of you being in a system. But one of the things I haven't looked for people who of color who do placenta encapsulation as an example. So I don't even know if they're out there, but I think there's a function of people need to do work to feed themselves to, you know, to live the life that they'd like to live because now you have more access and it doesn't necessarily allow you to self-actualize to the extent that you'd want to in this environment. Um, but I think we also don't utilize the networks to the full capacity. And this time round, I did, I had a discussion, the, uh, someone who knows how to speak to women. I don't know if you know her cat sister, Pindi at Genesis. Yes, I do. Yeah. Yeah. So I had a conversation with her, even though I'm not in the Genesis system at, um, mm. that was facilitated by my doula Tsulu about the fact that I was trying to make this, create this hybrid, but because of COVID, you know, this hybrid wasn't allowed because she's someone who's over 60. So she's at high risk. So she wouldn't want to put herself into a hospital environment and support me in the hospital. But she also gave, you know, she's, she's probably the first person I should have spoke to where she's affirming about your choice. Um, but also very fair in the information she gives you about the hospital because she used to work in the hospital that I'm going to birth at. So she was very honest about the environment, but not in a way where I felt alienated or that I'm making the wrong choice, but in the way that, so you know how this you felt empowered. Yeah. Mm. And it informs how mm. you are going to prepare your plan and come mm. into this environment. Mm. And I think that's something that people think, well, if I want to interact with midwives at Genesis, I have to be a Genesis patient, for example. But mm. the midwives, you know, this is their vocation. This is their work. So they're very open to sharing. Um, and I think we just need to allow ourselves to, to tap into those um, resources. And, you know, I, I sometimes struggle with it where I feel like I shouldn't get information without compensation from the other person, but I think, you know, when this is your work, you're willing to share yourself and your work with people more fluidly, you know, and mm. being mm. in that relationship. And I think it's important um, to tap into that. And I think, you know, they also, midwives and doulas also have the understanding that you do have to build a rapport. So I do think they give a lot before you necessarily lock yourself into a specific kind of relationship. Absolutely. Um, with Absolutely. Them. You're gonna drop your child? Baby, one hand. One hand. For the bows. Hey. <laughs> if you had to pick one, which one would it be? Both, <laughs> baby. Children are resilient. Hot water, baby. <laughs> and they do bounce back. <laughs> hey, baby. Yeah, Emma, music. 
dancing, Baba. This is a very different kind of tone from the conversation that we had earlier with uh, with Dee Tandor, because uh, as you know, Dee is preparing for a home birth. So incredibly different kind of things that one is working off of in terms of the access of your thinking. Um, is, is It's just fascinating for me that I think what what is what is really interesting for me is that one thinks that, I mean, in a way, when you say that you're having a home birth, you do get a bit of pushback. If I'm if I'm not um, overstepping, D, I don't know, but you do get a bit of pushback. People are like in South Africa, they're like, that's a bit much. That's a bit radical. Unless you say it in these hippie groups of like yoga instructors and all the rest, and they're like, it's wonderful. Do the home birth, you know. But um, so similarly, there's I think that there's a fear mongering that happens with VBACs um, or as, what did you call them? Where you're trying for a VBAC? That's a TOLAC. A TOLAC. So TOLAC versus um, TOLAC and, and a home birth, very similar in terms of the fear, similar but different in, the, in terms of fear mongering. Um, I just think, yeah, I'm, I'm, this has been such an illuminating conversation for me. I don't know. There, there is way more coming happening in my head. I do think that I, I wonder why, and I suppose you've hit the nail on the head around privilege. Like, why have we not been able to build up? It's, it's broader than for me just the question around um, a black network of caregivers, um, birthing caregivers. That too is, is very important. But why have we not been able to build up the resources to empower women in whatever decisions they make around birth? You know, and I think that that's just a question that I'm having in my mind that keeps coming up for me that there's no resources. And even you, Tando, you're speaking about you and I have had conversations and maybe we can, we can talk a bit more about that is postpartum care. There's a dearth of things that, you know, like you asked, where did you get your peri bottle? What is it called? A peri bottle from? Yeah. A peri bottle. A peri bottle, right? So I then say to Tando, no man. And I tore badly with my first one. So I needed a peri bottle. Um, but I was like, no babes, just use a, <laughs> a binocular bottle and then fill it with hot water and some salt. And you just like squeeze that on your, on your vagina, you know, you'll be fine. And it's this archaic way of like, we just cobble together this, these really rudimentary tools to support us. I recall that because I, I tore, I only found out from my doula, like one of the things to help heal the wound was nari um, seaweed. So cut the nari seaweed into strips and put that directly onto your vagina. But like, again, this is so fucking rudimentary. Where are the pads that have the, the cooling, cooling aids or whatever the case is that we just can't get a hold of, you know? And yet here we are out in these streets buying nari and like binocular bottles as part of our postpartum care supports. Like it's, it's completely ridiculous. You so know, I just... NJ bottles work just as well, by the way. <laughs> You see, so like, I do think, again, I'm asking the question, why is it that this is such a, there's such a dearth of resources, even though there is an existing network and also that the resources are very much, the resources and the network are very polarized in terms of, in terms of who has access to them, in terms of who's engaging them, in terms of all of those things, right? So I just, it's, it's fascinating for me. Can you speak a bit more about your postpartum? Because this is an obsession of yours, um, thinking through postpartum. And I know, again, premature, but because you don't know how it's going to go. But yeah. yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> so I think I just have to make do with uh, what we have here, which in my mind is quite 
archaic, but it's worked. So you're going to go Enerjade or Bonacqua? This is the question. No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but I mean, there's an opportunity here, and that's kind of what I've been thinking about. Uh, that perhaps once I I get out of the um, the fourth trimester and get comfortable with having two kids, um, that there is really a big gap here to provide these sorts of items affordably, because there is someone who imports a peri bottle. But um, to pay 800 rand for something that um, is a 300 rand item, let's say, I just can't justify. I can't justify it. And that you're gonna not, you're not gonna use it for much longer than the fourth trimester. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what are we doing here? Not yeah. even just a few weeks, right? Six so, weeks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. So, um, so I, th- I think that there's a big opportunity, but um, basically. Mm-hmm. Everyone is saying that you're just going to have to prepare it yourself. So if you want witch hazel pads, you're going to have to um, put that on your pads, put your pads in the freezer um, and, and do things that way, which I mean, you know, you then have to just deal with the questions of the level of hygiene, you know, that you're having your pads in Ziploc bags in a freezer next door to your chicken, you know, it's just... <laughs> I did that with Tao. I did. I did have my pads in the freezer next to the chicken. Yes. The <laughs> <hazel> pads. <laughs> I love it. Thanks. Yes. Thanks for your low-key historical shade, Tando. Thank you. The the things that my mom and my grandmother did, um, is the same things, you know, 60 and 37 years ago are the same things that I'm going to be doing, you know, now. And I guess you just can't, there's just no pretty way to do it. But, you know, the whole thing is, is whereas with cesarean care, it was quite easy. You had the bleeding, so you still use the pads. And I love the Carrywell panties. They're like the thing I'm looking forward to most. I also really enjoy them. (laughs) They can really hold the pads, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So that was fine. And then you just get this, um, my downy put on the tape and she gave me this ointment that you rub on and this ointment worked wonders, but you don't have that ointment for your vag. Like where's the equivalent of that for, for, for natural birth, you know? So I mm. do think that there is this gap where the nature of cesarean birth means that the recovery products you get are a bit more advanced. Sophisticated. <laughs> So, you know, so it's just stuff it's just stuff like that. And that South Africa does not have a one-stop postpartum care shop. I don't oh, it's crazy. I don't understand this. Why I need to be like just waddling of this. Yeah. Between the shops. Yeah. Where do I get yeah. a donut cushion? Um, is it the correct yeah. one? Where do I get a yeah. bath? Where do you get your um your actual combination of herbs and things? So I've asked a friend who's in this business to put something together based on the recipe that, um, that is in nurture to help me um, with the sitz bath, whether she'll find the stuff because the reality is what's available in the U S is not necessarily available here. Like plantain leaves apparently are really good um, for these sorts of things. And so interesting. Mm. Someone, you know, then you also want someone who has embedded knowledge in um, 
the South African herb, what do you call the herb in this herbaceous, you know, in, in indigenous plants to see what would our equivalent be? Absolutely. Mm. This context. So you're actually trying mm. to bring so many things together in actual fact to put together what would localized postpartum care look like um, as well as bringing in technology and all of that so you know this is just it's so expansive so when you when you say i'm obsessed with it you can see the depths of what what it would look like if it's done by women of color because those are the people who have the 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 knowledge so like nokulinda who's been on with you guys is someone that i'd speak to because sangoma have a real understanding and herbalists have a real understanding of what's available available out there and the healing properties as well as you know some of the the negative aspects associated um with different plants that can be used or that shouldn't be used in postpartum care so that's that's where my mind is at where it will settle post having the baby i don't know but for now i'm just trying to put together as much as possible so mm-hmm. that I at least have a six bath and a donut cushion and a bonacqua bottle. One <laughs> okay, well, that's really interesting because D and I, and maybe this is a conversation for much later, but D and I have been talking about postpartum care and support as something that we were also interested in thinking through how does one create an opportunity here um, or not create an opportunity. There is an opportunity to respond and address it. So I think that, that is something that we've all kind of, anyone who's gone through the experience, and this is what Dee was saying actually, um, is that you're so focused on pl- planning and preparing for your birth. You've got to go into like your, in, your, your, your pregnant body and you're preparing for your birth, preparing for your birth, that you don't really, especially with your first one, think about what postpartum care fundamentally means. And this is a recurring theme for a lot of the moms who, who have come on the show to say, Yeah. So first one, very much thinking around like, got to just get to the birth, got to get to the birth, got to figure out what does it mean to be pregnant and ride the the, the, the first trimester, second trimester, third trimester. Then you birth the baby and then you're like, oh, fuck, I actually now there's the fourth trimester and this is really hard and tricky. And how does one manage the baby and myself and care for myself and nourish my body and, 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 right? So second time moms seem to think through those things in a lot more depth but again you're still just trying to get to the birth in a way because there's something that happens in your head and in your body that you're you're a pregnant person and pregnant people are not quite within rooted within the world because you are having to do the labor and the emotional labor and the mental labor and the physical labor of of creating a child and then birthing that child right or delivering that child into the world so i just think i think that there is definitely something around for some reason, it's just really not a sophisticated terrain, thinking through postpartum uh, support. Tando, before w- you, you actually introduced me to Meal Train with Batandwa. And that for me was like such a revelation. Again, it's not a South African um, app, even though th- theoretically in these communities, one that, that's exactly what would happen, right? It's not a South African app. It's not localized yet. It's really thinking through what is, h- how can I, expect my community to show up for me post uh post birth so i think that that kind of leads me to 
another question that I have, which is what has community meant for you or looked like for you during COVID and during your pregnancy? Because that's important and it takes on quite a different tone. Yeah, so I mean, <laughs> COVID has meant um, loss, loss of community and loss of, of physical community in actual fact. So for me, mm. it's two sides. With having a toddler, we, um, we would have every Tuesday morning, um, I'd have a mom group where it's four, us four, four moms with the four kids that are similar age ranges that would just come together for two hours, have a conversation whilst the kids play in, um, in our garden here. And for me, that's, that's probably been the biggest thing is just losing that. And that's where you have general conversations about everything and anything. But the bigger thing has also been the fact that for me, particularly in the beginning with all of the uncertainty and the unknown of not knowing um, about COVID transmission um, and needing to be very, and then also given South Africa's um, lockdown rules, yeah. is just the, the loss of um, family community and not being able to interact with, um, with as much of your family as, as you would, or with your family as frequently as you would, has been a big thing because um, Batandwa and I would probably go over to my parents' house a few times a week. Sure. And um, that's my, sorry, I don't know what's happening. My child's crying. I don't know if you can hear that. Um, and that would be a, a big part of our routine. So that's been a big thing. And at some point, just for my sanity, um, we had to have the conversation about everyone's habits and risk appetites to allow us to at least engage with, um, with my parents and their environment a bit more because it was just a bit much to have to handle everything and be with them 24-7 and then be this pregnant. So... Yeah, so we've had to be more specific and intentional, but sure. so just weigh up the risk and convey to everyone. So I've had to convey to, to my immediate family what the risk is if they're not sticking to the parameters and the rules and how it mm. what the implications on our birth. So one of the things is that initially when we went into labor, we'd go and drop Batanwa off at my parents' house and then we'd pick him up. He's used to sleeping over there. So for him you know, that would be a treat and part of his routine. But because of COVID, we've now had to rethink that where um, luckily uh, both my mother and Bradley's mom will make themselves available, but they have to isolate and test and then they'll come and um, live with us. So sure. you know, that's the other thing is that, you know, you're taking everyone out of the environment and we've had to makeshift a guest room out of one of the rooms in our house, um, mm, which is mm. not ideal. But what it has done is kind of bring us back to what would have traditionally happened in the South African context, that you would go and live with your mom or go and live with your mother-in-law for yeah. a period after birth so that you can be cared for and nurtured and kind of urbanization has taken us away from this. And I think, look, Linda touches on this quite a bit and she may have touched on it in your chat about the fact that, you know, the idea of a village and a homestead and 
a community you're so disconnected from that particularly Absolutely. when you live in you know big urban cities like Johannesburg and Cape Town so and within structures like capitalism right which exactly. fundamentally yeah yeah exactly yeah. so so yeah so so for me there it's there are some things that number one is when everyone's overwhelmed looking after their kids they can't prioritize having a zoom call so I find that in actual fact, I probably connect more with my friends who don't have kids over this period That's than interesting. who do have kids, just because people don't have the time and the capacity. Um, mm. And your, your kid's routine has been thrown out because they're at home 24-7, so they're not going to bed at the times that they used to. Uh, so, so, yeah. And, then and even if they are, you're completely and utterly finished in a different way the exhaustion takes on quite a different tone um, your day-to-day rhythm takes on quite a different tone and I find that what's interesting for for me having two kids in the same house as myself and my partner who are working is that my working day is punctuated and interrupted perpetually by everyday domestic life so kids throwing tantrum coming in I conducted my performance conversation with Akani on my lap and he was in tears because he was having a shit fit because the au pair told him not to put a metal bottle into the microwave. You know, like, so I think it, it takes on a totally different tone. And by seven, even if your kids are going to bed at the, at the normal time, you are so exhausted that you're tapped out, touched out, tapped out, talked out, you're done. <laughs> yeah. And it's also interesting because um, the, just about this being tapped out thing, how I think there are lots of people because all of our families not here, right? So people want to be part of a virtual community for us, but honestly, I have nothing left to give. By the time people are like, let's have a chat, and it's like sure. half seven, I'm like, I can't, I have to take a bath now, and then I have to try and roll myself out of the bath, which is actually not possible, but I have to try and do that, and then try and roll myself into bed, and all of that takes you know, however long, and I, I just I also find it hard because there's like a different kind of apologist uh, leaning in some ways because of COVID, right? So you're available, but you're actually less available, you know? And, and it's because one is constantly trying to do as much as you are. And also, as you're saying, Kath, your day is punctuated by your children's things, mm. you know? And I thought it was really interesting that article you put up about mom's careers suffering you know because as soon as something goes wrong who do they call who do they want Mm. so yeah I hear that and um and I think community is a big thing and I and um just this week while you both know I changed doulas and a lot of that had to do with postpartum care um and just the feeling or look because I think something I've become quite aware of in the past week or two is there's something around your birth team that is about trust. There's something around a postpartum care team that is historically located in mothers, right? Like either your mother or your, you know, whatever, some version of mothering, whatever Mm. that looks like to you or your family. And that we don't, there's no way to access that right now, unless, as you're saying, Tando, you create makeshift rooms for everybody to, to play along. Um, and, um, and so just for me, I think that's been a big thing because I moved straight back to my mom's house after Tao was born and now I won't, she won't be at all. 
you know, so there's like that kind of thing um, as well that I think is quite, quite interesting and quite terrifying because having a baby is actually rather a big deal. And I think of its nature, you get to the other side and then you look up and you go, sure, I should have thought about more. But as you both said, when you're in it, you're also in it. Mm. And that's mm. what you're preparing for psychologically, physically, you know? Yeah. So interesting. Mm. Couldn't get any nectar. So I went to get oh. and dinner was dead. Oh, wow. Because there's no nectar on your sock. Mm. Cool logic. And it Oh dear. It didn't look. <laughs> oh good. I'm very happy to see. And on the outside is good also. Uh-huh. Good also. And these sides are good also. Good also. And this and these sides are good also. Nature has a whole section on this and I think it's because of what US society is like. So that's where I found out about meal train and you know it also talks about how you should if friends ask you for help how you should practically respond around Absolutely. what is helpful. Um, yeah. So so yeah anyways you're going to you're going to you're going to wrap us up. <sighs> I was, but uh, actually on that, what I wanted to say, what's so interesting also for me around postpartum care is that I can't speak for all black families, but certainly culturally for me, there's a whole thing around you, around the family nucleus and how a family nucleus is meant to work when you have a baby. So the person you've decided to have this baby with must somehow miraculously know how to do all kinds of things. So there's an awareness that your mother's important um, and that, uh, you know, your partner's mother might be important, but how the larger community plays a role. There's a lot of weird stuff around like respectability politics. And I remember with Tao, Tando, remember that you saw me soon after I had Taui and you were like, I could see your face. You were like, oh my God, bitch, be crazy. But like, I, like, I was like, no, I, don't, I didn't want anybody here. I didn't want, you know, and I'm not, I don't think you judged me for it, but I remember us having that conversation, which was way more layered than just this. Um, and, and, and the thing that stands out for me about that time was that I was so determined to create a little bit of a bubble for us to figure out our lives, right? And for my parents, they were like, but what do you mean? Like, you know, this is uncle so-and-so and this is so, you grew up with these people. And I was like, that's nice, but now my vagina's still bleeding, so please leave me alone. And they're like, okay. So there's a lot around, <laughs> like, you know, like kind of like the, the 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 messiness, the awareness that like giving birth is a thing, but also that you do pull yourself together and suddenly the focus is on the baby. And so care, the very notion of care is no longer about you as such. Maybe your no. mother can impart mm -hmm. some care for you, but even mm -hmm. then. I don't think that is structurally necessarily what it is. Mm. So can, I don't know. I, I think postpartum care, I think meal train stuff. I also think, I think that some of that, sorry, Kath, is also fueled by an understanding that 
families need support within yeah. capitalist structures, within urban structures, yeah. and that there's a language that we might understand that, yeah. you know, like I've said to my mom, yeah, I'm doing a meal train. And she was like, okay, that's nice. But why are you asking people for so much? Like, surely you guys must pull it together at some point. And I was like, okay, we've been living like this for four months. There's nobody, yeah. nobody who's come here, you know? So there's, I, I do find the postpartum stuff very interesting because there are a lot of like cultural things that are imparted, both said and unsaid. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and I really, I really, really agree with you, Tando. I think materially there's a need for where do we go as a one-stop shop, but I also think there's a need for more just engagement with what yeah. the hell that means. That is not, yeah. again, a, 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 like a functioning thing that works in white middle-classness that, of course, we're also privileged, right? But yeah. so I'm not saying we're emulating a, a, a kind of race tactic, but I'm saying I think, I think that, they, again, even there, there's nuance that some of us are having conversations about and, and for some of us, we're like, actually, we need to get on with it because that's also yeah. a lot of this phase. You have to get on with it. Isn't yeah. time to lament? So, yeah. sorry, it's become a bit of a rant, but yeah, it's super <laughs> interesting. Okay, Kathy, wait, last words. Each of you last words. And then no, I just have up. one small question and it's not really a small question, but it's more just some things that have been um, useful for self-care for you during this time. We, this is a theme that we... Look at Tundra's face. Tundra's like, that ain't a small question, bitch. You got 15 minutes more? <laughs> but no, I, 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 I want to wrap up with that, Tundra, because um, we did cover this in the conversation with Dee, and I think it would be just interesting to kind of get your perspective on self-care. During yeah, the time, having a toddler, dealing with a global pandemic, it's a lot. You're pregnant. How are you taking care of yourself? Uh, so mornings, actually, this is uh, this morning to have the Zoom course, probably the earliest I've gotten out of bed. So Bradley now handles uh, mornings up until about 9 a.m. Just because at some point it became really hard for me to just get out of bed, make the breakfast. So he's um, so he's taken on all of that, which typically would be what I would do is that I'd get out of bed, make breakfast, set up Batanwa's clothes for the day, um, then get myself ready whilst they had breakfast. So he's now had to take on um, all of that, which I think is good so that when the baby comes, it's not as much of a shock. Absolutely. He has mm-hmm. to take on from a toddler perspective. Mm. And so, so that I guess typically wouldn't be classified as self-care but it allows me to have a cup of tea in bed and then get out of bed while when my body has warmed up and not like trying to rush off somewhere when you still have like pain body pains from not sleeping well because I don't sleep well any longer sure that's been one and then um I I I consciously watch series at night when Tanwa goes to bath and goes to bed um, just to kind of unwind because, you know, when Batanwa was a a baby, I could like put a swaddle over him and watch series whilst he was sleeping. But I don't think that's going to be the reality with a second when you know you have to wake up with a a first baby, you know, um, in the morning, whereas with a second baby in the morning. No, with my first. Uh, Anyway, you get my point. (laughs) Yes. 
the point is yeah. you're going to be maybe awake all the time or not. If you have a good baby, maybe you'll sleep through the night. If not, you'll be up with the baby, but then your toddler sure. is still awake the next morning, still yeah. have these expectations of you. Mm-hmm. Um, so doing that um, in the evenings and then um, trying to wash my hair once a week. And so you've been pretty dedicated to I hear that. You've been dedicated with yoga. <laughs> Which has been interesting for me because that's you're not you're not that yoga personality. No tea, no shade, babes. <laughs> I'm not, but you know what? The yoga is is part of my body work for a vaginal birth. Okay. So, so you don't do you see it as self care or do you see it as the prep for No, no, it's 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 part of both, but mostly it's the prep. So okay. All right. it's, it's the prep and that's where that the yoga instructor, I would recommend as a yoga instructor, just because of the, the information that she gives you in the class around how certain positions are helping birth, the micro movements that I've now incorporated in my general life. So I no longer stand with my feet pointing outwards ever because I'm trying to just make it second nature of how do I open up my pelvis. So sure. There's a lot of items that have been, you know, really helpful. So no, so that yoga is, is my birthing, my birthing work and my pushing um, uh, work because, you know, my mom could do it without having known of, of, of anything else. And I mean, she pushed out three kids, not a single tear. My middle brother had a kid. (laughs) I think that, you know, I'm someone who kind of would need a little more help with having an understanding of, of my body and being able to feel different elements. So no, so the yoga is the, is the birth, it's birthing work. Okay. Okay. Sorry. My, my toddler of course has just come in. Um, No, that's great. Hi, Akani. Wow. Hi, we. I think we should let we should end it on that note. So thank yes. you so much. Um, for thank you, Tando. This has been so, so early and getting yeah. out of bed for us so early. <laughs> we appreciate this. Sorry, D, I broke your word. It was helpful. No, I was actually just hugely helpful. Hugely, no, shush. I'm on the meeting. Um, hugely helpful and I also think hugely illuminating. There's a lot of things mm. here that I think are quite different in terms of. Um, so much. This is life in COVID. Can you see my life is perpetually interrupted by my children? Anyway, okay, so I'm going to end it on that note and mute myself because my son will take over. Thank you, Tando. Really Thank you, Care. Thank you, Tando. Thank you. This has been so wonderful. Yeah, just so enjoyable and such a nice, like, self care reprieve, I feel, for all of us. But, you know, yeah. Good luck, Tando. Yeah. Thank you, and you Good too. Good luck. Thank you. I need it. Maybe it'll be I on the same like day and then we'll have joint birthdays. Yay! Joking. Yeah, <laughs> hopefully not my birthday because that is Tando's due date, which I'm not sharing on this platform. But those are my vibes. So Tando and I are not rooting for the same thing, Kathleen. Oh my We're God. Not. Oh my God. Oh We're my not. God. And we didn't even Thanks. touch on having goals, but another conversation for the day. Okay. All right. Bye-bye, okay. guys. Bye. Hi, Kathleen D. Our daughter, Sampa Cynthia Mandla, was born on the 31st of July to the sound of her dad's voice and Donny Hathaway's Someday We'll All Be Free playing in the background. 
at 39 weeks and six days. Um, it was a cesarean birth, so not the VBAC we had planned, but her plan um, meant that we ended up scheduling a, a Caesar just before um, full term. And one of the biggest impacts of COVID was how that um, played out uh, in theatre. So there was no immediate skin to skin as soon as she was taken out. We couldn't record um, the birth or bring in, take out any phones in theatre. As soon as she came out, she was handed from our OBGYN to the birth pediatrician who then did the checks, um, gave her the various vitamin K injections and whatnot, wrapped her up and then handed her to my husband, Bradley, who was in um, full uh, PPE kit, including gloves. I can't remember if he wore gloves the last time. There was no pulling down of masks and um, giving each other or baby a kiss in theater. He then spent um, the time, the recovery time with us in the recovery ward just outside the theater for about 45 minutes. And at the point in time when um, we went into Park Lane, NetCare had a rule that partners no longer could stay in, even with COVID negative tests um, in the private ward. So Sampa and I spent two nights in the private ward um, alone, which is different from our previous birth. And that meant I had to rely on the nursing staff on the first day because I wasn't mobile at all. Um, and on the second day, um, I had greater mobility. So I changed um, diapers and all of that on the, on the second day. And then we were discharged the day after that. Um, but Tandwa and Dad came to collect us from the um, hospital. But Tandwa sang nursery rhymes to his baby sister on our car ride home. And when she started crying, kept asking her, are you okay? Are you okay? When we got home, we had cupcakes uh, to celebrate her birthday. And baby sister bought Batandwa a gift. Um, so he got to open a gift. It was very, very festive. Hey, I'm Kathleen. And I'm Dee. And you're listening to Mamas with Attitude, otherwise known as MWA. The same way I immersed myself in my career. Yeah. You've now immersed yourself in motherhood. I've now immersed myself in motherhood. Mommy's a bounce. Mommy's a bounce. Mama's a bounce. Weird. Yeah. You know, motherhood just comes to take on its different shapes and forms. Mama, mama, mama. <laughs> no, actually, seriously, on a serious note, it's it's been really dope. Thank you. Okay, bye. Mama, 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 mama. 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 I think you're rude.